Genesis, the 25th chapter, I would like to read, beginning with verse 21. Genesis 25, 21. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. Let us ask the Lord to speak to us by his holy word tonight. I could stand here and talk for quite some time and say absolutely nothing. This can talk and say everything. Everything that we need to hear. And I want to hear from this tonight from this. This will stick to your ribs. It's like butter beans and cornbread and corn on the cob and boiled okra. Now you know what I had for supper. And it'll go with you. And it'll give you strength. Keep you on your feet. Help you win your battles. This is good. And you can live on this. Amen. You can grow on this. And I should say here that if your entire spiritual experience is not based upon this, then you better go back to square one and start all over. Because this is the foundation and the cornerstone of everything. Build your life on the Word of God. Love His Word. Consume it by day and by night. Muse upon it early in the morning and midday and late at night. And learn to live by its precepts. And your footsteps shall be sure. Praise God. Let's ask God to talk with us tonight. Lord, we want to help someone. We want to be used of you. I can do absolutely nothing within my own power, but God, I know that you can do all things. 
Hallelujah. And you can help me, Jesus, to help someone else by the strength of your word. Let my tongue be as the pen of a ready writer. Set a watchman at the door of my lips. Let absolutely nothing proceed forthwith that shall be offensive or detrimental, but rather be edifying and upbuilding. Let us preach in the Spirit, and hear in the Spirit, and receive in the Spirit. Let our lives be builded up in you. Hallelujah! Give us divine perception tonight. Help us to comprehend the things that saith the Lord in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. You may be seated. This is quite unexpected. I must admit that uh, it was probably the furthest thing from my mind about an hour and 15 minutes ago. When Brother Merle said, well, why don't you just come on over here and preach it? And I said, Merle, I still, I still have my robe on and my slippers. Well, he said, get on over here. So here I am. Praise God. I have observed that you have been in revival for many weeks. And therefore, I must assume that Seated among this people tonight are a number of newborn saints. And then there are some of us who have been around for a long time. Some of you knew me when I was knee-high to a duck. And that doesn't seem like a long time ago, does it? But we grow old in body but I wonder how we grow in the Lord. And so my remarks tonight will not necessarily be suited to the senior citizens in the Lord or those who are newborn in the Lord, but I think that all of us can profit from what this word has to say. There is one particular area of my ministry that has always been of great concern to me, and that is the establishment of new saints. To be sure that they are well-rooted and grounded in the Word and that they are brought to an understanding of what exactly happened to them when they repented of their sins, why they were baptized in Jesus' name, doctrinally, scripturally, so that they can go out and proclaim that truth unashamed to other people, pointing them through the Word of God and the baptism and the Holy Spirit, what the experience is, what it's all about, and what it is intended to do in our lives. And then about our daily walk with God. I call it spiritual maturity. We talk an awful lot about it at our church because you see we are so far removed from the situation <clears throat> such as you are in here, where you are in a well-populated district, you have a number of churches that are within easy driving distance of you here, 
And there's an awful lot of exposure, and uh, I am certain that the level of monkey see, monkey do is quite high in our ranks. And uh, our newborn saints begin uh, putting their hair up and, and to stop cutting it, hopefully, probably long before they ever really get the concept of what the scripture says about it way down in the heart. And uh, we start dressing like we see other people dress and we start conducting our lives like we see other people conduct their lives, hopefully with a good pattern. And many times blunder on and on without really understanding what is going on. And then after a bit, the cloud or the, that you're floating around on, the bubble burst and, and that beautiful a bed of roses that you thought you were going to ride to heaven on suddenly just disappears. And you come crashing down to earth and the mind is confused. And this does not always happen one day or two weeks or six months or two years after you've received the Holy Ghost. But you can have experiences like this after you've known God for many years. You're never exempt from these kinds of thoughts and feelings and confusion. And don't let that bother you. But you'll have those times when you'll think things about your church and, your, and the Word of God and your experience that in your own spiritual man, you know it's not right, but the old natural mind goes to work and starts asking questions. And then uh, if you don't know what to do in a time like that, you get confused. And you start asking questions if you're wise. And if you don't know what to do, sometimes you don't say anything because you're ashamed to ask questions. And you're afraid somebody will look down their nose at you and say, well, you sh you're filled with doubt and unbelief. You're a reprobate. You're a hypocrite. And you shouldn't be asking questions like this. Let me put it this way. If there is a question in your mind, go to your pastor and ask that question. Don't live in a state of confusion. There are answers. Somebody said to me up home the other day, there are so many problems. I said, there are no problems. And she looked at me kind of funny, and I said, well, there are no problems. There's only solutions. And she said, well, well I thought I had several problems. And I said, no, you don't have several problems. You're the problem. And when you get you straightened out, everything else is going to be in good shape. When Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children, notice the, the plural term, not child, but children, struggled together within her and she said if it be so why am I thus and so she started to to have questions about what's happening on the inside of her and she felt this this thumping and tugging and and drawing and pulling and and she felt the right rib cage give it this way and and then she felt the lower left side feel like it was going to burst. And, 
And she said, I don't know what's going on on the inside of me. And if she had been in Brother Ewing's church, she would have called him on the phone and said, Brother Ewing, I need to talk with you. Or Sister Ewing, I must counsel with you because I feel a struggle going on within me and I don't know what's going on. And I feel this tugging and struggling and pulling. And why? What's happening within me? She was frustrated. And is not frustration one of your top-level problems? How many of you felt just a little tinge of frustration about something today? Come on, be honest. Now the rest of you might as well raise your hands because you know you did too. Who are you kidding you got it all figured out? And if you do, I want to talk to you after church. I need some of that. Frustrations. Now we've come up with a fancy analysis of an old problem. It's called stress. They're making a mint off of it. Every magazine you pick up, there's an article on how to deal with your tensions or how to deal with stress. Books by the carload written on stress. All of those things are zeroing in on the frustrations that's happening on the inside of people and the struggling that's going on with it. And in the Christian, it is not any different. Because you are repentant, because you are get baptized in Jesus' name, and because you are receiving the Holy Spirit and speak with other tongues, does not take away the times of question and frustration that you'll encounter. Now, if somebody told you that it would, then you've been misinformed. Because you'll still have those times of decision, of frustration, of struggle on the inside of you. And we're going to find out why in just a verse or two. And so she did a very wise thing. Now, if Rebecca had been in today's world, she would probably have called another sister in the church. And she would have said, oh, sister so-and-so, I want to talk to you about this struggle that I'm having within me. I just don't understand what's going on inside of me. I'm not sure if I love my husband or not. I'm not sure if my kids love me or not. I'm just not sure if I'm doing anything right or not. I don't fit in that church, and I'm not sure Ewings want me there. And blah, 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 garbage, garbage, garbage. Rebecca do? She did exactly what you and I need to learn to do. When she felt that struggle rising, when she felt the battle ensuing, when she felt the fever coming up, when she felt the stress coming on, when she felt the pressure in her chest bone, when she felt the pain in her womb, she went to the Lord and she inquired of the Lord and she said, God, what's going on? And if you'll learn to take your frustrations and your stresses to the Lord and ask him with an honest heart, an honest heart, Lord, what's going on on the inside of me? And then shut up and listen. Yep, yep, yep. We talk 
We talk, I believe that God demands equal time. Now these politicians, they demand equal time on the air. And don't you think that God deserves equal time? If you pray for 20 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour, don't you think you ought to listen for 20 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour? But no, we don't do that. We go get on our knees and we say, now God, you and me, we're going to have to talk about this. Now, Lord, I don't know if you've been noticing it or not, but i got a problem with a sister in the church. She has been ignoring me. Now, I don't know what she's got on her mind, Lord, but I'd like to know it. If you know anything about it, I want you to tell me about it. Now, Lord, I know I haven't done anything to offend her. And yap, 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 on we go. And if we stop long enough, the Lord had probably... You know, I imagine sometimes, Brother you give me one. I imagine sometimes that when we're praying that, that God's off over there just jumping up and down and saying, will you shut up? You ask more questions than you give me time. And then we get through talk, 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 complain, complain, moan, groan, moan, groan, complain, complain, complain. You ought to turn a tape recorder on in your house when you get up for breakfast and leave that thing on all day long. And then before you go to prayer, turn the thing back and listen to yourself and decide what percentage of your conversation is criticizing and complaining and moaning and groaning and nitpicking. And get a good, long, hard look at yourself. You'd probably spend more time repenting than you would asking. Lord, what's wrong on the inside of me? What's going on in me? See, Rebecca was void of understanding. And this is the basis for your confusion. You don't understand what's going on on the inside of you. When you understand the strategy of the battle, which of course involves one side knowing what the other side is doing, do you know that the greatest dilemma in American history is now on the stage of our nation and it was brought to pass because in the 1960s the reconnaissance was relaxed over our enemy nations and our intelligence agencies were relaxed and even in the country of Iran the CIA had enough information to tell America exactly what to do and when to do it and how to handle that situation, we would not have hostages. We would not be in the situation we are in now in that country if our president and the Congress and the cabinet would have listened to the spies and the CIA agents who came back with critical information. But they said, no, stop building the bombers. Stop the ICBMs. We don't want it. We don't need that. Let's resurrect salt. Let's have salt too. Let's talk peace. And they relaxed all of those efforts. You don't need to know what your friends are doing. You know what they're doing. It's your enemy you better be looking in on. So you have to have understanding of what's going on on the inside of you 
before you can begin to cope with it. I feel dangerous. Is it all right, Brother Ewan? We want easy answers. We go out and we make our messes and we bring them in and dump them on the pastor's desk and say, now fix it. And he can't fix it. You've been messing it up for 15 years and you want him to fix it in 15 minutes. He can't do it. And you think he's failed as a pastor because he simply has to shake his head and say, there is absolutely nothing I can do. And you get up and go out of that office thinking, what kind of man of God is he? He ought to spit out the answers before I even get through telling him the problem. Mm -mm. You don't understand, darling. You don't understand. You see, here, here is the fine point of this whole picture I'm attempting to draw for you. And that is, it is not that pastor's responsibility to fix your troubles and fix your problems and iron out your wrinkles and press your garments. Guess whose job that is? You know who presses that big old 20-year-old skinny boy's blue jeans in my house? He does. Do you know who presses that little 16-year-old's prissy dress? She does. I said, don't you hang it on the chair and then come poke it out to me to press. No, sir. You learn to hang it up, then you won't have to press it. Is that all right? It's not this man's responsibility to fix your daily problems and trouble. God promised you personal victory in your life every day. And do you know when it will come to you? It will come to you just as soon as you understand what's going on on the inside of you. And we're coming to that in just a few minutes. What's going on on the inside of me, Lord? And then God said to her, Well, now that's easy. Let's, let's take a look here at what's happening. The Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb. Two nations? Are you telling me, Lord, that I've got something like the, the, the United States of America on the right side and uh, Brazil or Colombia on the left side? Uh, two races, two nations? What are you talking about, Lord? Well, actually there were only two male bodies in that room. Deeply embedded in each one of them were the genes enough to reproduce, reproduce, reproduce until it finally multiplied into a nation. So minute. 
Yet God called two babies in her womb, each a nation. Two manner of people shall be separated from you. Are you saying to me, Lord, I'm going to bear two children and they shall be diversely separated in their attitudes, in their appearance, in their conduct? Yes, that's what I'm saying to you. Two nations are in your womb. Two kinds or two manners or two manner of people shall be separated from you. The one people shall be stronger than the other people and the elder shall serve the younger. And don't you know that when God said that, that she must have sat right straight up and said, Lord, wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You, you got to talking too fast, Lord, and you got that mixed up. Now, Lord, you know that all these years that the firstborn has the birthright, the firstborn is the one that always is the big shot in the household. The elder shall always be uh, over the younger. Now, Lord, you, 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 got, you got your wires crossed. But the Lord didn't have his wires crossed. He was telling that old girl something. And he was also drawing an analogy that is as pure and beautiful in our lives today as it was in her life. Let's go on. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the firstborn came out and was red and hairy. Wasn't that an awful looking sight? You guys, you imagine what that fellow must have looked like? He probably looked like a gorilla. They called his name Esau. And after him, the second born, came his brother and his hand took hold on Esau's heel and his name was called Jacob. Now, let's get down to where the rubber meets the road. You ready? Saints of God, when you receive the Holy Ghost, you are not glorified. You are not caught away. The tendency to sin is not uprooted from you. The eradication of the old man and old Nazarene pilgrim holiness doctrine don't hold water and it's not scriptural. When you receive the Holy Ghost, I'll tell you what happens. The Holy Spirit will come in you and that is your second birth. And there comes a tug of war into play at that point in time. You're still flesh. If you don't believe it, reach over and... Uh, well, you better pick on yourself. Pinch your own arm, and you'll find out you're still flesh. You're still sensitive. You still have feelings. Your mind still knows how to ask questions. You still know how to doubt. You still know how to talk. And if you quit praying and get worldly enough, you can still cuss. And go take a little swig every now and then and get drunk as Cooter Brown. 
latent within that body sitting right there on that pew, clapping hands and worshiping God. And I said latent, and don't forget that word, is a possibility for you to do anything known to the sin catalog. Just because you come in here and repent and get the Holy Ghost is no insurance policy to get you to heaven. Once saved, always saved is a doctrine that was born in the pit of hell that was designed to put men on a seat of do-nothing and on a, a road of ease that will cause them to become negligent in God. The same kind of fasting and the same kind of praying and the same kind of careful thinking and monitoring of thought patterns and watching the tongue and keeping the feet and the hands where they belong and dressing like you ought to that was necessary to get the Holy Ghost is necessary to keep the Holy Ghost. You're not going to just lean back and let it all happen. Don't work that way. You just don't ever forget one thing. Two nations are in that womb. In that body there are two nations. There is the elder or the firstborn. His name is Esau. He's as wild as a woolly bear. He's as hairy as a gorilla. He loves to run the wilds. He likes to go where he wants to go. He wants to eat what he wants to eat when he wants to eat it. He likes to call the shots and persecute little brother the second born. That's the old man. That's Esau the firstborn. Esau the firstborn. Esau the firstborn. I want you to point your finger right here and say, this is Esau the firstborn. That's him. You put the shirt on him before you came to church tonight. You wrung that tie around his neck. You tied that bow and sprayed her hair. That's Esau. You washed her face and put the pantyhose on her and slipped the shoes on her feet. That's Esau. That's Esau. That's Esau wearing your suit. Firstborn, firstborn. Just as wild as anything you've ever seen. Firstborn, firstborn. The elder who says, I'm king. I rule over everything else comes after me. That's the firstborn. That's the old man flesh. Don't forget, Rebecca. God said there's two nations in your womb now. Now I want you to keep your eyes open. Here comes the second birth. His name is Jacob. And the first thing he did when he came out of her womb was he didn't lose any time. Honey, he reached out there and he grabbed a hold of a heel old Esau and he hung on to him for dear life. And don't you know Esau was... Wonder what in the world's got a hold of me. Here I am, firstborn. I'm first in the world. I'm king of the road. I got everything going for me. I'm going to have it my way. And all of a sudden, whoop! Something just grabs hold of his heel. And old Esau just wiggles to a sudden stop. And Rebecca remembered the words of God. And she said, He didn't make a mistake. He wasn't mixed up. When he gave me that promise that though there are two nations in my womb and though there is struggle, though there is firstborn, secondborn, though there is flesh and there is spirit, though there is carnality and spirituality, God gave me a promise 
that the elder shall serve the younger. And I thought God was all mixed up. God wasn't mixed up at all. You know what? God had that thing all figured out. And he said the firstborn shall be wild and we're going to have to bring him under control. And so old Jacob reached out and grabbed hold of him. And he said, boy, you just settle down here. I'm in charge now. Hallelujah. Second birth is necessary. You say, do I have to be born again? You ought to be asking, do I get to be born again? You are wild as a wind, son, without the Holy Ghost. You're dangerous to yourself. You don't know what you'll do without Jacob in your house. Esau, he's a rough character. Now you turn him loose and let him go, and there's no telling what he'll do. See, Esau has absolutely no sense of values. He doesn't know what's worth something and what's not worth anything. He doesn't have a lick of sense. He'll go out and run the hills all day long and come home and make demands of Jacob. And then he'll take the thing that's the most precious and sell it for just a little nothing. Doesn't have a lick of sense. You can't trust your mind. You say, I've got a good head, I have a good education. There's no fool like an old fool. I'm almost 43. I think I can say that and stay out of danger. I've seen people in their latter years make some of the biggest blunders and the worst mistakes of their whole lives because they thought they had it all figured out and had everything under control. Let me tell you something right here and now. You ever turn Esau loose in your life and he'll wreak havoc for you. Because he has no sense of value. He does not know how to appreciate things that are lasting like birthrights. He has absolutely no regard for heritage. Heritage meant no more than a bowl of soup to him. That boy could come in and say, I'll give you everything I own because I'm hungry and I want to eat. Your flesh. He'll lie to you. He will lie to you. Young people, let me talk to you out of my heart right now. Don't depend on your flesh. Don't let Esau control your life. Keep Jacob at the balance of power in his favor. Keep Jacob, the secondborn, the spiritual birth, the spiritual man, the Holy Ghost. Keep him in charge of your life. He knows where he's going and how to get there. Don't trust your flesh. All your flesh wants is to go out and do what it wants to do and come home and feel full. But it don't work that way, son. In counseling with a group of teenage boys, one of our high school supervisors said to them, 
counseling on very personal matters. Come on, I'm going to talk about it. I think we've neglected to talk about it too long. Talking to them about conduct in their bodies, sexual, premarital sex, which is an abomination to God, and the Bible still calls it fornication. And Revelation tells me that if you commit adultery and fornication, you're going to go to the lake of fire. I can't fix that. I looked around and I, you know, I read all over the place and I never could fix it. So I just left it. And last I checked, a fornicator still is going to hell unless he repents and straightens up and gets his life right. Now I'm talking about Esau. Esau has no regard for permanent things. Esau has no regard for heritage. And when that young mind begins to chomp at the bits and want to ride the hills and go hunting and do things that it enjoys, and the first thing that comes to your lips is, what's wrong with it? That's Esau talking. Esau don't know a blessed thing about a birthright. He don't know anything about heritage. He doesn't know what tomorrow holds, and he could care less. Esau, you ignorant man, if you can look into the future, if you can for just one moment glimpse yourself walking a vagabond across the face of the earth, if you can see yourself wallowing on the ground, beating in the dirt, crying and screaming, my Bible tells me all the way over in the New Testament, clear down the hundreds of years later, that Esau sought after repentance bitterly with tears. Died a lost man. What happened to Esau? What went wrong in him? That was the firstborn. That was the flesh. That was letting it do what it wants to do. That was giving it no restraints. Let me tell you something, young people. The walls of holiness are not built to keep you in the church. It's to keep the world out of the church. Nobody's trying to keep you in the church. The wall is to keep the world out of the church. My God, the door swings both ways. You don't want to live for God? Then I believe that thing's got a double hinge on it. Just go on out it. Go on in the world and just do what your little old heart jolly well pleases. Go lay in the bed of sinners. Go and do and do and just whatever your little old hairy chest beats out to you, march to its drummer's beat. And just go and go and go. I am appalled to learn that some of our churches have been discovered unbeknown to the pastor and the saints to harbor drug rings so that youth came to church under the cloak of holiness and worship, passed the drugs among themselves. My God, give us enough discernment to know that our glassy eyes from a drug high and not the Holy Ghost. Oh, Esau starts talking. He only tells his side of the story. That's all he tells. He says, this one time won't hurt. He says, come on, Jacob, give me some soup.
any facts of life. <clears throat> he won't tell you that it only takes one time at the right point in the cycle and you're pregnant with an illegitimate child. Natural curse, divine curse. Now fornication is not an unpardonable sin, but I want to tell you something else. It's a cloud, hangs extremely low, very heavy, and few are ever able to rise above it. The high school supervisor said <coughs> to the boys, don't put yourself in a situation for temptation. Those little old boys, 14, 15, 16 years old, many of them not saved. We have both saved and unsaved in our school, church and non-church. They squared their shoulders and they looked at that precious darling high school brother and they said, you can't put me in a situation where I'm not in control of myself. I hear the voice of Esau. I hear the voice of Esau. You say, how am I going to handle these things? How am I going to handle the problem? How am I going to handle the frustration? All right, the very first and probably the most critical step in coming to grips with the tug of war between the flesh and the spirit, the first birth and the second birth, the old man and the new man, Esau and Jacob, the first step is accepting the fact that there is, in fact, a battle. See, a lot of us don't want to admit that. We go around grinning like a chessy cat. We don't want anybody to ever know we've ever had a frustration or problem. But we must come to the point where we can accept the fact that there is that struggle and that there are, in fact, two nations in your womb. There are two possibilities. There are two strengths at play. There are two elements tugging at you. Always. The last thing before you go to sleep and the first thing when you wake up in the morning. When you go fishing, when you go to work, when you do dishes, when you shampoo carpet, when you dust furniture, when you do homework, when you go to school, you don't ever get away from that struggle. It's always there. And you're smart if you'll always remember it. And then when the voices start coming, then you perk up your ears and you start asking God questions. Now what's the matter, Lord? And then the next most critical thing to remember is you must keep the elder in servitude to the younger. And that's God's order. And if you ever get that out of balance, 
on your way out. And it won't take long. You'll be gone. You'll be out like Lottie's eye. I mean, it's... Keep the younger in power. Keep Jacob's hand on Esau's heel. And you get a death grip on that old man. And you hang on to him. And you let him scream and holler and kick and carry on and moan and groan all he wants to, but just let him know that Jacob is ruling this house. And let the second birth rule the first birth. Let the spirit rule the flesh. Why fast? What's the primary reason for fasting? In my observation, one of the primary reasons for fasting is to just remind Esau that Jacob is still in charge. And you just have to do that every now and then. Oh, Esau gets kind of fat and sassy. And Esau says, oh, I've got a headache if I can't get my coffee. And Jacob says, hurt, head. Go ahead, you need to hurt. And Jacob says, you serve me. God said, the elder shall serve the younger. The first birth shall serve the second birth. And when you bring your flesh, your mind, your emotions, and your thought pattern under the control of the spirit, the frustrations will just simmer right down. I noticed that the natural seed of Israel, the Jews, was brought to pass through the second birth, Jacob. And see, God even honored the second birth way back then with reference to the natural seed of Israel. And when we bring this flesh under servitude to the Holy Spirit, everything's going to feel better. In conclusion, I'll give you one last blow. You mind? I said I feel dangerous. See, I'm going home Friday, so I just kind of, I just kind of get bad around here, as my boy would say. Mom, you got bad tonight. You know what he means, don't you? Let me talk about mental problems. Hmm. Now, I know I'm walking where angels fear to tread. And I would like to preface 
my remarks with this statement. I know and concur with the, the fact that there are biological malfunctions of the nervous system and the brain. Okay? Now see, this little gray matter that's encased in this little thin layer of bone up here that's called the brain is an organ of the body that is unbelievably sensitive and its functions can malfunction, if you will, just the same as a heart will get weak and break down or just the same as the liver or the kidneys will just kind of get sick and, and won't do like they're supposed to do. And I am well aware of the fact that there are many, many mental cases of mental illness where the brain just is malfunctioning. Biological mental illness is not what I have reference to. Okay, you with me now? All right. A great percentage of cases we pass off to each other as mental illness, number one, nervous conditions, number two, emotional traumas, number three, and the list goes on and on, can all be bundled up and thrown into one little garbage heap and when thoroughly analyzed in the light of this Bible, I believe that probably without exception, most of them come because the person is in transgression of the Word of God. You reckon I better sit down? Or, or you think I better talk about that just a minute? You say transgression of the Word of God? You mean I can be emotionally sick? I can be in a mental, a frothy fervor and, and just practically out of my head and ready to go to the bug house and, and be locked up in a cell because I'm in transgression of the Word of God? It is absolutely possible, and I have seen it many times. Now, if you have someone in your family that's biologically men mentally ill, please pardon me. I'm not making any reference to that. I'm talking about so many so-called psychological and psychiatric problems which are not that at all, but they stem from people whose lives are in transgression of the Word of God. And if they would sit down with a minister of God and read that book and correct their errors and do their lives like this book says to do it, that thing would melt like butter in a noonday sun. preaching something that I haven't walked through hellfire on already. Time fails me to give you all the instances where I have proven that to be true. Now there are, there are, there's one case in particular in my church. There's a registered nurse who is biologically, mentally, and emotionally unbalanced. She is on medication which keeps her stabilized. She is okay as long as she's on that medication and I don't have any complaints with that. That's a biological illness and I can handle that. I'll tell you what I can't handle. I 
can't handle these people who work themselves up into a frenzy because other people won't do like they think they ought to do and other people won't march to their music and they think everybody's out of step but Johnny and they think they're losing their mind because their life is too regimented in God and as one poor darling told me just recently and I'll tell you about that just let me leave that alone for just a minute go to the first case this woman I noticed that she began to act strangely in church she was spending long hours more than the average at the church you could walk in there at 12 o'clock in the day and she wouldn't be down the altar praying she'd be sitting on the pew just staring into space and then in service I noticed some strange things and then one day the phone rang and uh, and it was darling old sister Jacobs and she said um, uh, Brother Trout, I called to ask you if you think it's the will of God for me to come to church tonight. And uh, that's just a small sample of this super spirituality I saw begin to surface. And, and uh, this thing went on, it went on. It got so bad and her, her husband was an unsaved man, a very good man. And hey, I know a lot of good people that's not saved yet. Don't knock them. He was a good man. He was a good husband, a good provider. He needed the Holy Ghost, and I believe God will give it to him one of these days. But that poor darling was suffering. She had to pray over whether or not it was the will of God to cook supper for her husband. And finally, one day, phone rang, and it was Mr. Jacobs, and he said, Brother Trout, I can't take it any longer. I've just committed her. Well, we were very distressed over the situation. We, we, we just didn't know what to do, didn't know what to do, and I felt so embarrassed for that man. Here this woman had come to God. She'd received the Holy Ghost, and it looked like the church had turned her into an imbecile. And I felt embarrassed because I couldn't help the situation. And one day I was praying for her, and I said to the Lord, Lord, what is, what is the struggle within me? And the Lord spoke to me and said, Opal is in transgression of my word. And I sat right straight up and I said, Lord, what do you mean? And he said, you go tell her that she is in transgression of my word. And when she rectifies those things, I will heal her ways. I went to Brother Trout and I said, Brother Trout, I think I better tell you in full detail what I am just about to go to the, the mental hospital and tell Virginia, Oprah, Virginia, Jacob. And I told him what I was going to say to her. And I said, that is so acid. It is so unkind. I, it's so presumptuous of me. He said, go do it. If God told you to do it, go do it. And I went up there and I spoke to her psychiatrist and I said, sir, I have a message for Virginia from someone. May I see her? And he said, well, she's over in another building getting some dental work done, but when you see her coming down over the hill, then stop her and, um, and talk with her out on the front lawn if you like. And I said, well, sir, how is he doing? And she, he said, she's really spacey. So I turned and walked outside and I saw her coming over the hill holding her mouth like this. 
And she saw me in a distance, and I went to meet her. And I said, Sister Jacobs, I have come to you with a message from someone. And she said, oh, really? Who? I said, God has spoken to me about you. Well, she was very excited about that. So we sat down under a tree on the ground. And she says, and what did God want you to tell me? Of course, that was right down her alley. You know, she, she thought burning bushes still talked. That's how bad she was. What did God want you to tell me? I said, God sent me to tell you that you're in transgression of his word, and that's why you're here. That wasn't what she wanted to hear. Because her little trip was quite to the contrary. She had elevated herself above everybody else. And she was flying about this high off the ground, super spiritual, doing very strange things in the Holy Ghost. Like one woman in Jamaica one time said she got in the spirit and she wanted to shout and the Bible told her to jump and there was nowhere to jump. The room was so crowded that she climbed the pole. So I looked up and there was Ena almost to the ceiling. And I said, Ena, what are you doing up there? It was an altar service. And she, she looked down at me and she was in the process of speaking in tongues up that pole. And I said, get down here. And she went, boom. I said, this is Jamaica now. I said, what on earth are you doing climbing the pole in the prayer room? She said, don't you know God told me to do it? I said, cha. That's a, that's a Jamaican expression of disgust. I said, God never tell you to do something like that. God tell me to say tell me to, to jump and shout and there's no room, so I just go up the pole. <laughs> she was no young person either. She was about 35 years old. And I don't know yet how she climbed that thing unless she practiced on coconut trees. So Opal enjoyed that kind of flying halfway off the ground, but when I laid it to her on that transgression bit, she didn't like that. And she says, she bristled, like you could see her bristle. And she said, what do you mean? And her eyes danced with fire. And she became angry with me. And her lips began to quiver. And she, she considered it an insult that I would even suggest that she was in transgression of the word of God. And I said, Opal, you're in transgression of the word of God. Two years ago, you considered yourself so spirit-filled that you withdrew yourself from your husband and you have not been a wife to him since that point in time. And the Bible says, defraud not one another except with a consent for fasting and praying and, it pray praying and it must be upon mutual consent. Don't you know the Bible says that? She looked at me and she literally began to quiver and shake and I said, you are in transgression of the word of God. You've brought your house under condemnation. And the curse of God is upon your life unless you repent. 
You say, do you mean to tell me, Sister Trout, that God would let a woman go stark raving crazy over one little old transgression? That ain't one little old transgression. That's one big old transgression. But you see, that led to another thing, and that led to another thing. And don't ever forget that Esau has a seed in him. And whenever Jacob takes his hand off his heel, don't you ever forget it. Esau is going to go to work and reproduce, and he will reproduce an army that will do Jacob in. And it will chase him over the mountains by day and by night. And if Jacob's not careful, he'll be fleeing for his life. With Esau hot in pursuit, and that's not the way God planned it. After her quivering and shaking and trembling stopped, she dropped her head into her hands and she started to sob. And she said, Sister Trout, what can I do? And I said, Virginia. And tears filled both of our eyes. I said, you go in that ward and you go in your psychiatrist's office and you ask him for a weekend leave and tell him you want to go home to your husband. She said, Sister Trout, I don't think I can do that. And I said, yes, Virginia, you must. And she did. And both of them were in church the following Sunday. In 10 days, she was released without medication. And she's presently enrolled in Kent Christian College. Forgive me for being so long, but it may be a long time before I get back here. And I want to help somebody. I want to help somebody. What I want you to do is just kind of look around and see, see if just maybe that that trauma is self-imposed because you're in transgression of this book. Unforgiving spirit, jealousy, not being able to just handle those feelings inside of your bosom about someone else. You're frustrated and you're asking God, oh God, what's the struggle within me? Are you asking him honestly? Are you really ready for what he's getting ready to tell you now? Honey, he's liable to just, just knock the wind out of you in just a few minutes. If you can really ask him, Lord, what's wrong with me? Why am I confused? Why am I troubled? Why do I not have peace? Am I in transgression of your word? 
Is there someone I haven't forgiven for something that happened years ago? You say, Sister Trout, you don't understand. No, I probably don't. And you know what else? God doesn't either. This book said forgive. And there are no alternatives. There are no options. He said pray for your enemies. You say me, pray for him. Do good to them that despitefully use you. That's what the book says. Now, if there's something or someone in your life and you can't measure up to that and you can't do it, you're in transgression of the Word of God. There's condemnation in your mind. You're living under a cloud of guilt and it'll choke the living daylights out of you. You say, what am I going to do about it? You're going to call on the Holy Ghost. That's what you're going to do. And you're going to say, Jacob, where are you? Come here, boy. Put your hand out. Get a hold of Esau's heel. Grab hold of it. And hang on to it. Esau's going to kick and scream and carry on. But that's all right, son. You hang on. And you keep the Holy Ghost in power in your life. And you find you a prayer closet. And you pray through that thing in tongues. I said in tongues. I said in tongues. Somebody said, do you have to speak in tongues real often to be saved after you get the Holy Ghost? It doesn't say in there in the fourth, fifth, sixth John and the umpteenth, eleventeenth, the chapter that you've got to speak in tongues every other day to be saved. But I'll tell you what, if you don't get into a prayerful spirit that's deep enough and wide enough and high enough and thick enough to cause you to pray in the Holy Ghost, you are in jeopardy. And you're not taking advantage of the most vital link to heaven that God ever afforded you. Why tongues? Why pray in tongues? Why learn to pray in tongues? There are several kinds of tongues. One is the initial evidence of speaking with tongues as the Holy Ghost is received in your life. There's nothing like it. The other is the message of tongues, which is the gift of the Spirit, one of the nine. Three, three, and three make nine gifts of the Spirit. One of those nine is tongues for the edification of the church. And then the third and equally important is what I call the devotional tongue. And that is that communication between you and the throne of Jesus Christ. Why do you suppose God provided that devotional tongue? Paul did it. Paul knew that that old Jacob had to have a through line to heaven. Paul knew that he said, I have to keep this body under. He's got to keep his foot on Esau's neck. He said, I die daily. He whacks Esau over the head every day of his life. He knew he had it to do to stay saved. He said, there is a war in my members, the flesh and the spirit, and we have a good fight out every day. Paul knew all about it. He said, there's times that I pray in the spirit during this times of battle. He said, I don't even know what I'm uttering. Just a moaning and a groaning and a carrying on in the Holy Ghost. Why do you suppose God did that? And in closing, I want to just give you my own humble opinion on why he did it. 
The devil understands English. Well, you see, he's universal. He can go all over the place. Satan's not universal, but his imps are. They just, he just dispatches them by the dozens anywhere. He, there's a bunch of them in here tonight. Some of them's back there scratching your back, making you wish you's home in bed. Some of you's wishing the air conditioner would come on. There's a bunch of them come to church tonight. And these demons can speak all kinds of languages. The smartest anything you've ever seen, but they're just as dumb as a devil. Don't have a lick of sense. You pray in the Holy Ghost, you fast and seek God and walk in the Spirit, you don't ever have to be afraid of a devil. Had a woman thrown in the floor with a demon in the Northeast Church here a few weeks back. We commanded that demon to be silent because he was just blabbering all over the place. And it was nauseous. It was so sickening. I, I felt like putting my hand over her mouth. But she was wallowing all over the floor. And nobody could had about four people there holding her down. She was a very wicked girl. She had been involved in in drugs, in the occult, you name it. Her grandmother was a witch. You did. She, there was just nothing missing from her story. And there she was wallowing on that floor. And that devil was, quote, speaking in a tongue. But it was like a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. It made me so angry in the Holy Ghost, Brother Ewing. I got down over her and pointed my finger into its face. And I said, be quiet in Jesus' name. And just like that. It was just like she was smitten dumb. And then I said, what is your name? And he told me his name. I don't recall now what it was. One at a time, there were five demons in that girl. And when the final and last one was expelled in Jesus' name, the Lord baptized her in the Holy Ghost. We wrestled with her physically one hour and 45 minutes. And finally, on the far side of the altar, beautifully baptized in the Holy Ghost, still received the Holy Ghost, still has it, still shouting the victory, living for God. The devil is the biggest, dumbest thing you have ever seen. He is a, he is a mockery. Why, in the Old Testament, when that poor darling king thought he was hearing from some deceased prophet, he wasn't hearing no prophet coming back from the dead. You know what he was hearing? Some demon imitating in the prophet's voice. No, dead people don't talk. The Bible says they know nothing. Some living ones don't know anything. Why did God give you that tongue, that devotional tongue? Because that is your private communication with God. You talk English and the devil can talk English. You talk anything else, Spanish, French, you name it, Cajun. What do you call it? 
down South French, and the devil can talk that too. But you get in the spirit and you start telling God all that's in the deep recesses of your heart in that heavenly language, and the devil's over here ringing his hands. He don't know what's going on. See, he can intercept that English prayer. He hears you say, oh, your business and you tell him all kinds of things that the devil has no business knowing don't ever talk your weaknesses in prayer in the English language you got any secrets to tell God get in the spirit and pray in tongues the devil can't hear that he can't understand that I'll tell you who can hear it God can hear it and when you get it to flowing and going and coming back and forth and the power starts to coming glory to God and that old Esau comes under the servitude, under the jurisdiction of the second man. Hallelujah. The second birth, the Holy Spirit, and the victory is yours. Let's stand and thank God. Oh, praise his name. Two nations are in thy womb. Two people, two nations, struggles but victories. Jacob shall rule over Esau. He shall rule. Hallelujah. What a thought. Jesus' full salvation brought victory, victory. Glory to God. Glory to God. If you're in transgression, ask God to forgive you. My Lord, don't make a federal case out of it. Just repent. If you're in transgression, don't call the Congress together. Don't bring it before the church board. Just repent. You don't have to dig up every old dead rabbit that's been buried for 40 years. You're in transgression of the word of God. All you got to do is bow your heart and bow your head and say, my God, I am in transgression of your word. I am a sinner and I want you to forgive me for that thing and cover me with your blood and let the Holy Spirit purge that thing from my life. Let's do it right now. Jesus, we thank you, Lord.